Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. Peace be upon you all. With God's name, the merciful benefactor, the merciful redeemer. This is your host and producer, John Nasheed, on this Blog Talk Radio program. <clears throat> Broadcasting from the city of Nourishell, New York, every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Today is December 1st, 2011, and we'll be continuing our talk that we had established, uh, I believe it was six, maybe six uh, programs so far. This is part seven, and uh, we're talking about uh, Al-Islam in America, established by former plantation slaves. And this is a great contribution that was made by African Americans coming to this country uh, around four, four, 400 years ago, established, uh, not established, but enslaved, uh, 1619, I believe it was, Jamestown, Virginia. And uh, the great contribution is coming from enslavement, enslavement to total freedom in the Holy Quran, reading the Holy Quran, understanding the Holy Quran, understanding the model example of our dear prophet Muhammad. Uh, we never know what God's intentions are. You know, we bicker and we complain and do a lot of things, but God also teaches us that, you know, with difficulty, there's ease. So we don't know what our purpose is. But I do know one thing that African-American people are God-created to be uh, uh, messianic people, people with a message. And really, if you study the life of African-American people, it's just that history is the message. is tied up in that message of African-American people. Because it also translates back to this, the, the uh, enslavement of the Jews under the prophet Moses. If you study that history, we see how it parallels. Uh, part seven that we're going to be talking about today or this evening. Uh, but before I do that, I'd just like to, you know, let you know that this is New Mind Development Project, a New Mind Development Project. Uh, and uh, our website is nmdp.com. That's New Mind Development Project. Also, we're on Facebook, John Nasheed, Twitter, John Nasheed, and the radio program every Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. It's wbox.com. You can tune in. It's a call-in program. It's live. Uh, you have any uh, comments that you would like to make, you know, we're open to that. And, uh, you know, be with us. You know, this this slavery that we talked about for so many weeks is called the peculiar institution of slavery. In other words, it's a strange, it's never been done before, it's unique, you know, involuntary servitude imposed on a people by another people, <laughs> involuntary. And uh, we went through some very serious struggles in our lifetime, and a lot of the evolving us, you know, over a period of time. It's a progression, and this progression has grown us up from that period all the way to today, 2011, and we can stand up in America, the powerfulest country that has ever graced this earth, material, material power, and say, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad al-Rasulullah. Indeed, a great blessing, and this is done by uh, people who were once enslaved to this great power. And by God's help, God freed us of slavery, not only the physical bondage, but also the mental slavery and spiritual slavery. Yes, we were enslaved also spiritually. On the negative side, we were motivated to uh, inspire toward negativity in the spirit. And God knows best. So we're going to be talking about, uh, and first of all, we give a brief 
review of the past weeks, past seven or six weeks, this is the seven. And this week we're going to introduce, and we did it briefly last week, but Imam Boadi Muhammad and and the transition, his transition, or transitioning from the Nation of Islam, his father's organization, into Al-Islam or True Islam. Uh, those of us who are in that history or in that community or know anything about the history, we know it started out as the world community of Al-Islam after the Nation of Islam. And he gave us a very broad view. You know, like his father, he's a very wise man and he used language to uh, pick up that dead mind and put it in a place. So if we thinking about the little small community and neighborhood that we live in, uh, he immediately gave us a great picture of a community that belonged to a world, the world community of Islam, meaning that we were inclusive in the whole community of Islam all over the world. And I'm pretty certain that this may seem a little strange to people who don't know the history of African Americans and how we were robbed blind, deaf, dumb, and blind of the knowledge of ourselves, our culture, our people, our language, our names, etc. All of this was taken away in this strange, peculiar institution of slavery and uh, chattel slavery, uh, treated just like cows, no rights, uh, no possessions that we own. We could be bought and traded overnight away from the family. And, uh, you know, it's just a horrifying experience. And the whole makeup of that experience was designed to literally destroy us. And then also, if we ever was able to get out, then the religion that they gave us would continuously incarcerate the mind because they gave us a religion of a Caucasian image, the image of their own selves. So we, we, we'd always be enslaved to them, just like many of us are right now. So we say praise be to God that he blessed us to come into a religion, to come into a way of life that frees us, makes us independent for God and God alone. So we don't have illaws. Or if you're a real, true Muslim and understand what Islam is, you don't have illaws. Allah is your God. And uh, God knows best. So we thank him. Uh, previewing back from the first topic that we addressed, and actually it was slavery, but not the Atlantic trade slave, uh, the, Atlantic, the Atlantic slave trade. It was slavery as a way of life in the world, going all the way back in time. And uh, we're not saying mentioning slavery to say that we were the only one enslaved on this planet. We know that's not the truth, but there's history amongst uh, the Jews, or the Christians, and uh, any other religious people or any people that walked on this planet Earth. Slavery was a way of life, and the strong dominated the weak. And I guess it made sense at that time because, you know, what's the sense when you go out and do the work when you get somebody else to go out and do the work for you, <laughs> and then you reap the benefit. And this strong, able to dominate the weak uh, for power and also for wealth. And many of the countries, the poorer countries, the weaker countries on the earth, you know, they, they set up power over, over uh, their power, their leadership, and they extracted their wealth out of the earth, and they became very wealthy. And we know that not only Europeans, <clears throat> Europeans came along later, quite naturally, but also Africans and Arabs and Asians and all peoples on this planet Earth, uh, enslaved people, their own people and also others. When I say own people, I'm talking about from their race. Uh, so mankind just had an inkling to enslave. And if we don't be careful, we... Some of us are being enslaved all over again, right here in this country, United States of America. And you know what will enslave us? Ignorance. Because we don't take the time to understand the lessons that was given to us that 
came into us over a period periods of time. You know, we only accept information from certain sources or certain people. But keep this in mind that truth is truth. The truth of God is the truth of God regardless of where it came from. Because there's only one truth and truth is reality. That's the whole slave all over the world. We covered that a little bit. Uh, you could also go uh, to the archives on uh, Blog Talk Radio, John Ashid, and check out our archives, and you know you'll see that. The uh, so Atlantic, Atlantic Ocean uh, slave trade from Africa, West Africa, to uh, the shores of America, the uh, East Coast. Virginia, uh, the Carolinas, uh, all up and down the coast. Actually, first of all, Virginia, first slaves. I believe it was 1619. And, uh, you know, this slavery, at first it wasn't chattel slavery, it was servitude. Where Caucasians also came. They brought them here. Some sold themselves into slavery, and they worked off their debt. They made an agreement, a contract that worked for the owner of the land for a certain period of time, and uh, at the end of that period of time, they were set free. And that's the way it originally started, even with African. And then later on, the chattel slavery took over, meaning that this individual belongs to you. <laughs> you know, he is your property. And if he's sold or your land is sold, your land is sold with your slaves, your property. So this was a very serious problem, especially for us, very, very serious problem. And uh, it was like a, a nightmare, a horror, a horror story. And, uh, you know, the ill treatment, uh, castrations and burnings and murder and all the rest of these things, raping the women, your women selling the children and just on and on and on. So this peculiar, strange institution of slavery involuntary uh, servitude imposed upon the people, uh, robbing them of the knowledge of themselves, the motherland, the culture, the people, etc. So this was the beginning of slavery. So the great plantations in the South, mammoth plantations, you know, working from can't see to can't see, from darkness of, of dawn to the sunset working in the fields. And, you know, I visited uh, some of these places in Mississippi, the Mississippi Delta, in Georgia, and Alabama. And, uh, you know, it just kind of blew my mind uh, just to see how our people could work in those fields and temperatures. When we went there, when we went there, it was 104 degrees. And, uh, bugs and mosquitoes and things of that nature, and you didn't take uh, water breaks or coffee breaks or things of that nature. When you got up in the morning, you worked and you worked till sunset. And, uh, you know, we know the stories about some dried cornbread and fat back and things of that nature that they fed, but nonetheless, it's a very, very difficult situation. But believe me, God was always with us, even under those very difficult and trying times. And we see the truth manifesting. You know, it's not a lot of our people have lost the way quite naturally. We see it. We read the papers and we see it in our communities. But we see a light that Allah uh, blessed to be that light to draw people towards it. As I mentioned, mosquitoes, you put on a light, it draws it those mosquitoes to the light. And, and if we don't accept the light, then quite naturally we're going to die spiritually. And we see these things happen. But we also have a responsibility to go out and wake up our people, those of us who have made the journey through slavery and came up under the light of scriptural uh, understanding, be we Christians, be we Jew, or be we Muslim, African-American Christians, Jews, or Muslims, or Buddhists, or Hindu, uh, if we're guided by God, then we have a responsibility to look back and bring our people along. 
don't turn our back on and also to correct the ignorance the ignorance of the ignorant people who created the problem you say well why should we do that it don't make sense you know believe me it makes a lot of sense because we know it was the spirit of satan that created the problem we both were manipulated and uh, quite nasty god knows much better than me and in that period there was a period of or year of 1865 the abolishment of slavery the emancipation uh, proclamation it was proclaimed openly that the slaves were free or slavery was abolished the end of slavery uh, under uh, I believe it yes uh, Abraham Lincoln and uh, a lot of our older people they believe that Abraham Lincoln his whole purpose was just to free the slaves. You know, he didn't become a president of the United States just to free slaves. I mean, there were millions of Americans lost in that Civil War, uh, North and South. And believe me, believe me, believe me, they were not fighting to emancipate African-American slaves. Actually, if it wasn't for the Union being divided, we would definitely be slaves right now not unless Allah saw fit to uh, save us from it, but that wasn't their intent. Actually, Abraham Lincoln mentioned that if it was, if he could uh, save the Union by freeing the slaves, he would do so. If he could save the Union by not freeing the slaves, he would do that also. So it was all about the Union, meaning the government of the United States of America, North and South. And uh, that's what makes America so powerful today is because this United States, the United 50 State United. I remember Imam Warthi Muhammad said that the 50 has a significance, even to the point where they, I remember so long, it was just 48 states. But then they went to uh, the Alaska and Hawaii and made those places uh, states of the United States of America. It was the science, you know, 50 science is, I'm not going to get into it now, but that's for the thinking mind. You know, God is the best knower. And uh, everything that wise people do, they leave a message in what they do for future generations. So everything happens by design. And then we talked about the failure of the Reconstruction period. And the Reconstruction, you know, like any time an army tears up a country, he has a responsibility to go in and reconstruct. And uh, one of the biggest problems that they made in the Reconstruction was uh, they put the slave, they gave him a position higher then the southern white folks, those poor southern white folks, they made African-American people superior, or it had the appearance of being superior. And uh, these were people who had uh, African-American people or slaves under their control for so many years, working for nothing, uh, using their women when they saw fit. The war is over. The northerners come down. The carpetbaggers. They come down to loot the South, and the Ku Klux Klan is created as a result of that Reconstruction period. I, you know, I, I'm looking at it myself, and I'm trying to be open with it. And I said, if I was in a position, that's the same thing I would have did. I would have created an army or a force to rise up and fight against it, fight against that. And that's exactly what they did. Very cruel and brutal, brutal army forces of racist white folks, poor racist white folks. Actually, they came under religion. They said that they were Christian, Protestant Christian folks. And their concept was that they were of the God class and uh, black folks were uh, the unchosen people. And they can do as they please with them. They God put them there or put them here for their pleasure. And how dare you put them over us? 
So as a result of that, it was although the slaves were emancipated, emancipated, or slavery was abolished, they created a equal, because that was the law, of the United States of America, but separate, separated from whites in the South. And actually, whites is kept in the North also, all over America. They all had the same mentality, that the white man was superior to the African-American people, the slaves. So they were equal, okay, they're equal, but separate. Separate water fountains, separate doors to come in, uh, separate or private movies, one to the other, restaurants and things of that nature. And that was the beginning of what they called Jim Crow. And Jim Crow was a separatist movement, and it lasted for 100 years. Now, what I could never make up in my mind was the Union forces in the North were victorious over the rebels, which were the Southerners. Why did they allow the South to create a separate separation between the races and then create Jim Crow and 100 years of lynching? And for their survival, African-American people or slave, former slave people had to perform sharecropping uh, duties. You know, they worked the master's farm or the former master's farm for their survival. And the farmer owned the seeds, he owned the tools, he owned the shacks that they live in, he owned the company store, etc. So in reality, they were forced back into slavery all over again. So it appears that if they were free, but slavery existed in even more brutal than the time of the regular form of slavery. Uh, after slavery, it was more difficult for African-American people than during the period of slavery. I, I could never understand how the North, which was the government in Washington, D.C., allowed that to happen. And then the movements for civil rights started to rise up. And the black people had to fight for that themselves. After winning uh, or, or coming into emancipation, they had to go back during that period of Jim Crow and fight for what they call civil rights, the civil rights movement. Imagine 100 years of lynching. We don't even know how many people were lynched during that time. And I have pictures in my, in my file of women hanging from trees. See, one picture where three men was hanging from the same tree. And uh, I know there's two female singers, Nina Simone and uh, Billy Holiday, that sing a song about the bitter fruit. Fruit. This bitter fruit. Oh, this is, this is sad. It's a beautiful song, but it's a sad song. They're talking about, you know, bodies human bodies hanging from trees during that period. And it was just about, it was legal because the, 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 the police department, the, the mayor's office, the courts and all were part of this organization called Ku Klux Klan. Now I'm giving this overview or giving these topics that I went through, uh, uh, I pray that it was informative enough for us to understand, but to show us the progression of African-American people coming into Islam. And I'm not taking anything away from our Christian brothers and sisters and even non-religious uh, African-American people, but I'm showing an experience, a progression coming through this experience with African-American people coming into the religion of Islam in America. And and why, why this is so important was because there was no Islam in America the religion for African Americans were Baptist, Christian, Protestant, Baptist, and it, it was Baptist Christians. And we had a few others, and some of those, they made them think or feel that they were better than the other uh, African Americans. But that's always a way to, to uh, you know, you never put everybody in the same bag. It's for control. You make one feel that they're better than the other. And uh, they even help you control because they feel or think that they're better than the other folks. But 
even today, if you walk by a Baptist church or any of these church in African American communities, sanctified churches, they holler all day for and they holler the word Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And they take we were given that. We were forced to accept that concept that this flesh and blood man are perceived to be as God. And uh we'll try to get into that a little more too. And uh see time is really rolling along. <laughs> you know, there's uh uh, article that was given to me by a friend of mine and it was by Herbert Berg. It's called Myth Making in African American Muslim Context The Morris Science Temple, The Nation of Islam, The American Society of Muslims. And then he did an overview on these groups using uh, myths or mythology. You know, uh, Telling a, giving a story, but hid, hidden, hidden in uh, false, not the truth, but hidden into a picture. These myths, he's creating myths and hiding the knowledge. And uh, you know, I also have a book that I had for some time. It's called The Myth Makers, and this is about the Christian religion. It's Paul and the invention of Christianity. Remember, Jesus was a Jew. Paul also was a Jew. And the book was written by Hyman Maccabee, who was also a Jewish scholar. And a lot of powerful information in that book. So this Mr. Herbert Berg, which he sounds like a Caucasian, maybe a Jewish man, I don't know. But nonetheless, he's talking about myth-making in the African-American Muslim context. And he highlights the Morris Science Temple. as Noble Drew Ali. I believe he was out of Newark. And the Nation of Islam in Detroit, Chicago. And the American Society of Muslims, which is Imam Wadaki Muhammad. And how they use myths. And they use these myths to draw the people away from the myths that Paul created, Christian myths. So these are myths, yeah, quite naturally, use myths, a language that was quite naturally different from the language that we were accustomed to. And I was in the nation of Islam, and that's what drew me away from this idea that the white Christian West had given to me and took me away from that using mythology of symbolisms and metaphors things of that nature. So I thank God because the language that was fed to us prior was a language that would have incarcerated us until the day of judgment. I think at least the language of the nation of Islam or that mythology of Farad Muhammad and the Abulaz Muhammad was only uh, designed to correct the old mythologies of the slave past. And then eventually we would evolve out of that. So uh, Mr. Berge has some very good points in his article, you know, analyzing Imam Wadi Muhammad and Ambalaz Muhammad and Farad Muhammad. He makes some very, very good points. Uh, actually, he did his studies. He did his research. And uh, God knows better. Also, we talked about the nation of Islam and uh Martin Luther King and their organization for civil rights movement but the Nation of Islam and leadership was looking for human rights, the God-given rights, not man's law, but the law of God. Every human being have a right on this planet Earth. That's God-given. Actually, our Constitution calls it in this way, your inalienable rights. You have a right, God-given rights. All of us have that. You know, and many of us today, and look how long we've been out of that situation of slavery, a little over 100 years, and many of us still feel inferior in America. You better go out and get your rights before somebody else do, and uh, God knows that. God-given rights, the natural law of God, separation from the former slave master, and that's what human rights does. Gives you that sense of freedom that 
you are under God, and God gives you the law to govern your life. And then we talked about Farad Muhammad developed uh, uh, mythological language to draw us back away from the mythical, uh, mythological language of the slave master. And this Christian, this uh, rolled up in this Christian idea that Paul had created or invented the invention of Christianity. And if we just stop to think for a minute, we know that Jesus, according to the Bible, Paul, according to the Bible, were Jewish people. And Jesus came to correct the disorder of the Jews, put them back on course. And uh, after Jesus left or was gone or God called them back, then Paul invented Christianity. If Jesus were to come back tomorrow, he wouldn't know anything about this religion that's being called Christianity. He was a, a, a one who submitted his will to do God's will. Actually, we see that as a Muslim. And also Moses, the same thing, because all prophets belong to the same uh, progression after our prophet Adam. And they evolved over time to uh, the last prophet, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon them all. And they came at different times. The message was the same, same message, uh, but the message was worded for that particular time. And there's no, no, no difference between any of these prophets or any of these scriptures or any of the messages. It's all for the benefit of mankind. Is a mercy to mankind as God. So he sends prophets to guide us along the path. And all of this was based on Paul's myth-making to hide the truth in myths, uh, symbols, and metaphors. And he was hiding it from the ungodly people. You know, sometimes people got the truth, they contaminate it, mix it up confusion, and take it over. Really, so I'm not saying whether what Paul did was correct or not, or what Farad Muhammad did was correct or not. The end result is in the hand of God, and God knows best. Elijah Muhammad, the leader of the nation of Islam, and the founder of the foundation for Islam in America. He was the leader and the founder of the foundation of Islam in America. And what do we mean by that? Well, foundation. You know, sometimes when we look at buildings, the foundation is enclosed by plywood and things they don't want you to see while they're digging down in the dirt, pulling up the rocks and things. And they don't want you to see that part. And then when they clear that out, they start putting forms in and pouring concrete and laying down a base to put the superstructure on. The further they go down in the ground with the foundation, the higher they can go up. So what Elijah Muhammad was taking this mythological language or this message, he was forming this kind of foundation amongst his following. And one of his key points, the key points that he stressed was moral excellence or moral base. The foundation is for Islam in America, whether we know it or not, is established on a moral base. Because when I came a member of the Nation of Islam under Elijah Muhammad in 1966, I think we had more criminals than moral people. And his message was also clean yourself up, put on decent clothes, take a bath, keep your hair cut. And they, we were monitored. We had captains and lieutenants, and inspectors to make sure that we carried these things out. If you came with a dirty shirt on, they would send you home. If you had a problem fussing and arguing with your wife, you had to see an investigator. They had to straighten that matter out. You know, no cursing, no gambling, no drugs, none of those things. And uh, he was establishing that moral quality in the community because he knew he needed that. Uh, consciously or unconsciously, if the foundation was going to be strong enough 
give support to Islam. And he was being prepared for that uh, by Farad Muhammad. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, Abdullah Muhammad wasn't a moral man when he found Farad Muhammad. His wife brought him there to straighten him out. And when he straightened him out, he became one of his chief ministers, Farad Muhammad. And after Farad Muhammad mysteriously left, Elijah Muhammad took over the leadership, went to Chicago, and began to establish that base that we're talking about. And Imam Warranty Muhammad was the son of Elijah Muhammad, uh, next to the youngest son of them. But he was a, a special child. And uh, Farad Muhammad, I believe he, himself personally, he wrote his name on the door. And uh, he was showing the other members of the family that he had kind of took to him more so than the rest of the family and to uh, give him respect because he was grown up as he was going to be the leader of this community or nation of Islam, as it was called at that time. So Imam Warthi Muhammad, he was always a moral child. And not only did he... He said, I'm not talking about what he said. I'm talking about what the people who know him. And remember, he just passed in 2008. There are many, many people around to testify to his life when he was a child, when he was growing up, when he went to school, serious student, knowledgeable, with deep, deep insight. As a boy, he was speaking to the men as a child. This is Imam Warthi Muhammad. And, you know, I label him, Imam Warthi Muhammad, as the myth breaker. And he had some strong medicine for him, too. He had some strong medicine for that church idea. And he also had some strong medicine for the nation of Islam because he had to clear out the myths in order to build the superstructure on that base that the nation of Islam established. So the Imam Warranty Muhammad, powerful leader, father died in 1975. Amr Muhammad died in 1975, and I think it was a little before Savior's Day. And on Savior's Day, that was customary for the gathering of Muslims all over the country in Chicago to recognize a leader called Farad Muhammad, called it Savior's Day. And Amr Muhammad taught us that that was his father's savior. And he always refused to accept him as his savior. He believed in God. He believed in Allah. And his father would always excommunicate him. And then he would come back. He was putting him through disciplines also. His father knew that his son would eventually inherit the community and lead the people on to the right path. So he was a myth breaker uh, of Christian myth and also myths of the nation of Islam. And uh, I'm telling you about this book here. You can look it up. Maybe you might be interested in reading it. The Myth Maker, Paul and the Invention of Christianity by Hiram uh, Maccoby, M-A-C-C-O-B-Y. And uh, it speaks a lot about what we're talking about right now for us myths are concerned. And once we understand what we came under, the kind of indoctrination that we came under, I mean, you couldn't figure these things out because it was designed for a purpose to enslave you. And the myths of the nation of Islam was designed to break us away from the enslavement of that Christian ideology that was given to us by slave masters. And then the message of the Quran and the tradition of Prophet Muhammad was designed to destroy both of those ideas. And uh, bless and God bless that to happen through the leader Imam Wadi Muhammad. And I just wanted to know and keep in mind that this didn't happen outside of America and the African American community. It happened within the African American community in America. And now we see Al-Islam forming. Farad Muhammad came and he introduced his 
mythological language, <clears throat> he didn't stay long. Elijah Muhammad took it and put it in a social reform movement. He created a nation of Islam as a social reform movement. He was working to reform us from our past and establish that moral base. And quite nicely, God knows best. And we thank God for blessing us and blessing them. And uh, as I always say, God knows best. The development of moral excellence and the belief in the oneness of God. That was Imam Warrington Muhammad's first approach to develop to develop that moral excellence and also the belief in the oneness of God. Actually, the belief in the oneness of God first he gave it to us. And then the moral excellence, he worked it right along with that. Just like during the time of Prophet Muhammad, he taught uh, taqwa and tawheed for 13 years, I believe it was, before he moved on. You had to, first of all, establish the morality in the person before you really can give him an understanding of the purity of God, the unity of God, the oneness of God. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> Imam W. Dean Muhammad was always a student, an excellent student of Islam. And... Uh, Actually, he was. He was. Uh, it was predicted that he would be the leader after the death of his father. And as I mentioned earlier, that Farad he would write on the door to give an indi- indication that he was wrecked. That, that the family, the family members, the people in the community knew that uh, Imam Wati Muhammad was a special son, and Imam Wati Muhammad would eventually one day be the leader of the community. And this happened in 1975. And uh, my first introduction to Imam Muhammad, 1975, I think I was in the community about nine years as a nation of Islam. And they had mentioned that, that we had a visitor to come to our FOI class. And when he came to the class, he spoke, but he didn't speak the language of the nation of Islam. And, uh, you know, it really amazed me. Uh, many of the things that he was saying, I I didn't know what he was saying, but I just had a feeling in my heart that what he was saying was correct. And as I sat there, you know, I was kind of converted to the message that he was bringing about, although I didn't understand it. That was the spirit. And uh, Allah guided me. Guided and blessed Imam Wadi Muhammad to teach that message from 1975 to 2008. And he first, when I first met him, he came to the temple uh, in Harlem, Temple Number Seven in Harlem, and uh, he spoke to us maybe maybe four hours. But he dropped the load on our grain, and he, what he was doing, looking back, he was breaking up those myths information into our head actually was like a time bomb you know, with a short fuse, a long fuse to detonate at a later date. And uh, that's exactly what happened. And uh, Farad Muhammad, you know, him being schooled in the understanding of Islam, he knew that eventually that if he can get the African American to think, to think, to start using his brain reading the signs all around him and utilizing his brain that eventually he would come up out of that uh, small uh, womb that he was engaging his mind in. He, he knew that. He was a very intelligent and wise man. And uh, Imam Muhammad, Farad Muhammad, Kabbalah Muhammad, the whole message was thinking. Think deep. You know, when you look at the picture, you know, not the literal picture, look into the picture and look at the nature of what you're looking at. Because everything that God created has a nature. He gives it a nature. Everything has a nature. And the nature of what it is speaks more to what it literally is. You know, we say, well, there's the tree. And you say, oh, we can make a swing on the tree or a, a, a house or a tree house. But the tree is much, much more than that. 
you know, just even a human being, if you're looking at him from the outside, quite naturally you don't really know him from the outside. You have to look into him and to the soul of that individual and the nature of that individual in order to be in order to know him the way that God created him. So he would say, Think deep. And that's the message that I promote now. My organization is called New Mind Development Project. A new way of thinking. Right? And just keep throwing throwing concepts, just throw concepts out there, throw them out, throw them out, throw them out. Uh, if enough comes out, you got to think about something. you got to think about it. And uh, just from a whole lot of different directions, you know, and eventually the man is going to, and the woman is going to start to think. They're going to take a look at it, and they're going to dissect. They're going to open it up, and they want to know what's inside. How do it work? How do the heart work? How do the intestines work? How does hearing, how do I hear? How can I see? They want to know these things. And if we're curious enough, then eventually that avenue is going to open up and then we're going to become much broader in our thinking, scientific in our thinking. Because God's religion or way of life and his creation and his scripture is science, mathematics, science. And if everything in creation is scientific and mathematical, then what about the scripture? Right? He's not going to make his scriptures some pokey dope, take a chance at it. No, it's science, the language of it, the numbers, the concepts, ideas, scientific message for the scientific mind to look into, not at. Stop reading scripture looking at it. Start reading scripture looking into it, and God will bless us. Imam Wadi Muhammad's mission was to destroy the myths of the nation of Islam and Christianity, which had enslaved black people. The nation of Islam myths were designed to destroy the Christian myths before the true light of Al-Islam came into the mind and the heart. And then, quite naturally, the true knowledge or insight into the Quran is designed to destroy the myths of the nation of Islam. And uh, very powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. And, and really, I'm so proud to be have been a part, and still is a part, of uh, the nation of Islam. And uh, to go through that experience to be able to, you know, teach it to my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, and to the masses of people. You know, it's a very difficult thing to teach the truth in a world that was created in falsehood because the concepts are not true. So the people, when you speak it, they say, well, get out get out of here, get out of here. You don't understand, but you don't stop speaking. You keep speaking because what are you trying to do? Remake the world, right? Make a new mind to remake the world. You can't remake the world using the mind and the language of the old world. You have to get rid of that, and you have to develop a new mind. We have to begin to be able to teach our children to think, think within the concept of God's creation, thinking is creation, scripture. You know, scripture for children is very difficult. But if you can point to the child and show them a flower and teach the example of a flower or a fruit plant or a tree that has a root, that has a foundation, roots of foundation, body, a trunk, which is the body, and branches that branch out in life, and the, the different cultures of the tree is shown in the leaves, and then the fruit that it bears, any example that we see in God's creation, we can give our children the lessons of Scripture by using the natural world that they come in contact with every day. Don't sit your child down and try to give them a difficult reading of the Quran, any of the words and things they can't even perceive. Start them out in, in simplified language with things that they can understand because the creation of God is a tab. Can have also, and the scriptures 
with the first scripture uh, that was given to man uh, from Abraham, uh, Moses, Jesus. That wasn't that long ago. At one point in time, the natural man, he was natural. You know, he was, he was a natural human being, Hanifa. And he knew God in his nature until Satan came along and confused the matter. But nonetheless, he knew God. And even after Satan came along, there were still many men on this earth who had that natural ability to know God in his oneness. So now these children God has given to them, given us back to giving them back to us. Christian children, Jewish children, Muslim children, great deep insight. They have great perception. And that's the blessings of God. Because God is the best knower, and he prepared that for us. So when we're talking about al-Islam in America, established by former plantation slaves, then take all of these things that I'm talking about now into into account. And then naturally we have uh, in the last maybe, what, maybe 30 years, 25 years, or maybe less, we see an influx of, Arabs and Pakistanis and Africans and Asians, Southeast Asians, Muslims coming to this country, setting up mosques and temples and, uh, you know, and Islamic life here. And in the history in Detroit and Michigan, excuse me, there was strong Muslim communities. This is one of the areas that they first came to, like years ago, way back, 1800 maybe, establishing them themselves here. But the establishment of the foundation for Islam started in the African-American former plantation slaves. So we're not taking anything away from anyone, but we want to make sure that we get our just due too because normally when the news media comes around, they, for some reason, they don't pay us any attention. They put the microphone in somebody else's face. And I guess that's because it's very difficult for of families of people of people who have incarcerated uh, African Americans in slavery and held them back for so so long to see that people pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, so to speak, using Islam, the religion of Islam, for that purpose. Right? Kind of difficult. You say, well, if he's going to be successful under Christianity, we can accept that. But under Islam, what does that mean? It means that that slave has made a 360-degree turn back to where he originally started. Because many of the slaves coming from uh, West Africa came to this country as Muslim. And we see the story of Roots. And Roots spell that picture out very carefully, Kuta Kente coming from Africa, Muslim, strong Muslim, and then eventually reduced after going through the disciplines and even to the point of chopping his foot off to make him conform to the idea. But I don't believe he really fully ever conformed because he has Islam strongly in his heart. And now we see our people returning back to the mother, back to the motherland where they originated at, not so much the country, of Africa or Africa, the heat, or those kinds of things, but where where our life began, our life in Islam began returning back to that, 360 degrees. And nobody can take credit for that, only God. And uh, we thank God always for the many, many blessings, even under the difficulties, because we are taught on many occasions, we thought on many occasions, uh, after difficulty comes ease. We realize that. And uh, God is the best knower. So, Alhamdulillah, Rabbilah, I'm looking at the switchboard here, and I see, a, I believe it's a caller on hold. I don't know how. I'm going to take a shot. We have about five minutes. I don't normally have a call or call in, but we're going to take a, sh- a shot at it. Uh, nine, 
7-3 area. Paula, you're on the line. Hello? Paula, you're on the line. I hear something noise back here, but are you there? Not there, so we're gonna to have to hang up. But I also want to make mention to us that we do have a call in. Uh, you can call in. I, I talk. I make some notes, and we have a talk topic. And if nobody calls, I just keep talking. But you're absolutely uh, welcome to call in. And I'm gonna to have to take another look at that to make sure that I'm doing everything right here too. And our call in number is six two six two. One three five seven one three, and uh, we'll be back on next week. And uh, we have another topic. Uh, uh, summarize this topic that we have been addressing, and go on to something else. But keep in your mind what we were talking about: Al Islam in America established by former plantation slaves, from dust to industry. And I'd just like to conclude by saying one of the great things that Imam Wadi Muhammad did was, like his father, you know, we established many businesses, we established investment groups, uh, overseas purchasing before his passing, and uh, going back and acquiring land for ourselves and producing halal food, meat, and things of that nature. And uh beautiful thing. It's so much so many great accomplishments that we had uh, under his leadership, also his father's leadership. And we just have to keep implementing and putting these things into practice and working with people who think like us. And when Allah took Imam Wazi Muhammad back, what he did when he took him back was freed us for the world. We have to get out of these little small locations, these masjids, and just in there like church folks. I know we're comfortable with it, but we have to get out and start going out in the world and start establishing community life, and God knows best. I'll take another shot at this caller and see where we go. Caller, you're on the line. Caller, if you speak up, you're on the line. Which caller? Are you speaking to me? Yes, to you. Are you tuned in to John Ashid? Yes, I'm tuned in. But I didn't know my number yes. was called up, but my number didn't come up. Uh, but okay. I would like to have... uh, ask, pose a question. Yes, go ahead. The question is this. You were, spe- you were referring to the the foundation in which the Honorable Muhammad had built Mm-hmm. In uh, in the wilderness of North America now, right? To build a foundation, you said to build a foundation to make a to dig deep enough into the earth to give you the the height of the building or whatever you're trying to build, the stability right. to right now. Right. In fact, if Dawlaj Muhammad, according to his son Wazdeen Muhammad, mm-hmm. said this. Uh, in one of his statements, he said that, uh, interviews, he said, under the leadership of my father, the Honorable Muhammad, mm-hmm. the nation of Islam and those followers did the impossible in this country. Now, if the Honorable Muhammad... the nation Muhammad, of it. Yes, the nation of Islam, yes, sir. Right. Uh, if it was a myth, if it was a myth, we know a myth is not... Is not don't have no stability. We know that. Right. So if mm-hmm. the Almighty Muhammad was doing a myth, and we are still standing on that foundation, time proves things to be true or false. He yeah. proved with time in which he taught or which he was teaching that that foundation is still standing today because we we are standing on it. We eat from it. We're living from it regardless of what we call ourselves as a black man in this country, as a so-called man. Exactly. In this exactly. No, you're uh, exactly 
foundation is still there, and the foundation will always be there. But there has, I was talking about a superstructure that grew up off of the foundation. The superstructure. So you can't yeah, well, just, the actually, you can't, you can't, you can't separate. You can't separate the building from its foundation. Definitely, once you can't it's built. Separate you, it. Yeah, once it's built, you can't. Uh, you cannot. It destroy destroy all of it. We have right. seen this in history. But my, uh, what I'm saying is this: that um, that foundation, that physical, mental, and spiritual foundation, in which he taught. Through mm-hmm. the teachings of Master Farah Muhammad, alhamdulillah, mm-hmm. nothing is impossible with Allah. Nothing is impossible. Is that true? No, is nothing that, is impossible. Matter of fact, matter of fact, Allah allowed that to happen. Alhamdulillah. I but mean, my point is, that, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't following the traditional Islamic sunnah, but nonetheless, He allowed it to happen because you know it's definitely like allowed slavery to happen. Foundation for growth. Deportation of the moon to happen. He allowed uh, uh, the woman to come into existence through man. He allowed that to happen. So we are looking at situations that seem so unreal. It's surreal, but it's surreal. Yeah, but everything, everything that God does is for real. Everything. Everything. Whether Everything. we might not sometimes, sometimes we might not understand it. We might not. We don't Definitely. understand the nation of Islam and fraud, Muhammad, and many of these things that took place. But it's it's in in the sight but, of God. But on oh, His level of teaching in this country, see if He did, if that which He was teaching was false, these people you were you were saying further uh, early in the program that uh, you have. Files that you have black men and women hanging on trees, mm-hmm. you know, and that's real. Yeah, uh, yeah. But also, you know, the thing the thing is that you know the nation of Islam was here for a purpose, and it was based on myths, symbolism, signs, and things of that nature, right? Oh, I'm gonna disagree truth, with that. The truth, because I've the, studied. No, but to me, the truth, the truth is in the myth. See, it's not that the truth is absent. They use mythology to bring the message across. Because if the truth, truth has to be truth, opened up, see, that's what you're saying. No, if it's it it truth, it has to be opened up. If it came open, open understanding of Islam, it would have immediately been destroyed in America. So he didn't come like that. He came with uh, uh, a language that the truth was hidden in. And eventually, when we became thinkers, we'd be able to open up that myth and see the truth in it. Yes, but we had to so, have I mean, the it's not that we working. It's not that anything working against. It's just that the the, the perception is being a broad, you know, becoming broader by the amount of yes. knowledge that we have. Yes. So yes. I, let's let's don't fight each other. No, know, no, no, no. Listen, not listen, listen you. I'm just talking about in general. Uh, okay, in general, uh, uh, when we have a uh, discussion, it's, uh, I heard John Bilal Muhammad said when scientists are discussing things, they use only one word to discuss that because a word, when you go into the uh, the, the, the breakdown of that word, you know, the definition of that word, that, mer- that word might lead you into many different areas. Yes, yeah, exactly. so, a, word to the, a word to the wise is sufficient. <laughs> Right? That's yeah, because I mean if you're broad thinking, you're not just looking at the word, you're looking at what it entails. The whole of what it entails. Yeah. Well brother, we gotta cut off from here now. I'm glad you called us and you know, just tune in any time is is open to you. And uh, may Allah bless you, brother. Where where are you calling from? I'm I'm calling from Newark, New Jersey. I'm Abdul Rashid Najim Ahmed Sharif. Um saying what you didn't mean. You was you was into the foundation. <laughs> you did you did. Yeah, brother. That, hey, look here, that yeah. turned us on, right? Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. our life, brother. We, we opened it up, that. you know, that's, that's and that's life. what we should do. We should not only yeah. come we should go deeper into what's yeah. being done to us as a people. Exactly, and we, brother. Don't we have to interpret that? We the ones that have to do that. 
Okay, I oh, got to cut off. This episode is over. We're just going over a little bit. But, uh, you know, I Thank you. tune in again, and we'll be on some good topics, and, you know, feel free to call. You always, I'll say this, you always have good topics. I love right, thank you, my uh, brother. They're open-minded. See, that's what I love about it. You know, that's why, that's what I uh, grasp towards. That's what I move towards, something that uh, has stability, you know. Right, but I'm very you, low. I'm very low. It's ending, and it's not ending, but it's going off. And maybe one day you allow me again to speak, and I thank you very sure. much. If I see you, okay, I'll, I'll tune you in. All right, thank you for calling, my brother. May Allah bless you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.